Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Go and take your Bibles and turn back to Philippians with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to spend our time this morning as we continue our journey through this great letter. Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. And doesn't Jared look good without a hat and sunglasses on, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the first time I've preached twice on a Sunday in a long time. I feel like I'm working overtime today, so... Man, but it is so good. I am so thankful that you are back, and I'm so thankful for uh, the opportunity God is giving us to uh, begin again as a faith family. Man, it's, it's been an interesting journey, and just so overwhelmed to see your faces this morning, and so thankful uh, that, that you are here. It, it is a special day because we're together again. We're, we're in this room together, and I thank God for that. It's also a special day. I want to show you a picture of why it's a special day. Today is... Our anniversary, Stacy and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stacy and I have been married 12 years as of today. 12 glorious, wonderful, long years we've been married. And so, so I am very thankful for the wife that God has given me and the family that he's given us. And so, so yeah, it's our anniversary. So, so with that said, I mean, um, man, I, I think back 12 years ago when, when we got married, uh, just the, the joyous occasion that it was and and I had the opportunity Friday night to perform a wedding ceremony. M- many of you know Cody and Savannah Coxwell. And so I did their service Friday night in their grandparents' backyard. And, and, and as I was standing there, you know, with them and, and, and listening to them, you know, recite their vows to each other, you know, as they were saying, I do, you know, the, the thing that kept running through my mind is I, I looked at them and watched them look at each other with, with eyes full of love, anticipating the days ahead. All I could think was, man, they ain't got a clue what they're getting into. Right? I mean, isn't it true? Whether you've been married uh, for, for a month or for 12 years or for 55 years, marriage is great, right? I wouldn't change anything ab- about it, but, man, there are some challenging days. And, and, and so, you know, Stacy and I, we've had good days, we've had bad days, and everything in between because that's just life. I mean, no matter how great your marriage is, and I feel like we have a great marriage, there's, I mean, we have a great marriage, right? Okay, we do. Okay, it's good. So it's good. But even though we have a great marriage, there's still those just challenging days. And so, you know, when we lived in Louisiana, there were challenging days. When we lived in North Augusta, there were challenging days. Now we live in Charleston, there's challenging days. There's always been just challenging days. There were some challenging days in North Augusta. And, and whenever there was a challenging day in North Augusta, I, I pulled out this shirt. Uh, this shirt I, I bought in, in college. Um, we had, you know, one of those Hawaiian nights on campus, and so I bought this ugly shirt for that, that, that night on campus, and then it kind of went into the closet until we got North Augusta. When I got home after a challenging day, I would, I would put this shirt on, and I called this shirt my prayer shirt, because whenever I put this shirt on, it was an indicator it was time to start praying. Time to start praying that God would deliver us and send us to the coast somewhere so we could live on the beach, Right? That's what we pray, God, please, I want to live on the beach. And, and, and this shirt worked. Well, kind of worked, right? I've been wearing this shirt, praying, God, send me to the beach. And then a church in Charleston, South Carolina, called. 
Northwood Baptist Church. And, and I, I probably have told you this before. I, I didn't grow up going to Charleston. We grew up going to Myrtle Beach. That was just our thing. We didn't come to Charleston a lot as a kid. So I didn't know much about Charleston. And all, I mean, for all I knew, North Charleston, Charleston, I mean, it's all the same, right? I mean, Charleston's the name. So North Charleston, Charleston, same thing. And I remember that when we first came to Northwood and, 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 and that first time we drove on campus, it wasn't the beach, right? I mean, like, like, there's no beach around us, right? I mean, I had this idyllic picture of what a church would look like in Charleston, and, and, I, and I, just be honest, this wasn't the picture in my brain, right? I, I saw palm trees on the campus. I saw, you know, Stacy and I living in a little parsonage on the ocean, and, and that just wasn't it, right? I mean, and so, so, so that we get, came here, and then, 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 you know, I went home, and I started to research some about North Charleston, Come to find out, North Charleston has the highest crime rate of any state in the a city in the state of South Carolina. Like, what in the world, right? But here we are, three and a half years later. And, and, and I don't have to tell you this because I know if you're a part of the Northwood family, you feel the same way I do. We might not be on the beach. We're close enough, but we're not on the beach. I might not live in a little parsonage on, on, on the water. But you know what? You would agree with me. This is home, right? This is home. Not because we're close to the coast, not because of, you know, whatever. It's home because of you. Because of the people I'm looking at this morning. I mean, this is our home. And I'm so thankful, right, for the three and a half years that God has given us here. And I know many of you, you've been here a lot longer than I have. You're thankful that that God has allowed this to be your home. And just to, to come home together today. And to see your faces, and some of you I've seen over the last eight weeks, some of you I haven't. It's just so good to be in this room with you, to be home. And what a blessing. But, but here's the deal. As we come home, and as we start to get back to normal over the next few weeks, I'm glad to be home. But I want home to be better. Don't you? Because let's be honest, we, we all have a home in, in your family, our family, the life of our church. I mean, it's always good to be home, but home can always be better. There, there's always things we can improve upon. And, and so that's what I, I want us to talk about this morning is, is as we come back home together, how can we make home better? Because what I don't want to happen is for us to get on the other side of this pandemic and, and, and things just kind of go back to normal. Things were good at normal. We were already a great church, but how can we be a greater church? How can we be better? How can we make home better? And and I think Paul is going to help us to answer that question this morning as we look at this beautiful passage of Scripture. And as we look at what Paul says to the church at Philippi, now I want to show you from this passage just two two truths, two truths that I think that if we'll grasp all these truths and and begin to to think about these truths and even live out these truths, that, 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 that this will help us. What Paul says in this passage will help us to be a better church, to be a better home. So take your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We haven't said this in a long time, but you have that passage of Scripture. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word together. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning and for allowing us to come home, to be back together in this room. And I know we're not quite back to normal yet, but I thank you that we're getting there. And I thank you that in the days ahead, we're going to continue to see the church at Northwood thrive for the glory of Jesus Christ, to be a blessing to our community, to shine the light of the gospel in the dark places of North Charleston and wherever else you lead us. God, I thank you that this pandemic has not changed for one second the mission that you've called your church to. And so now, Father, as we study your word together, we thank you that we're able to hear your word together. We thank you that your spirit is present among us. We thank you that in these moments, together, corporately, we get to meet with the living God. So, Father, as we are under your word together, help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us, and help us to respond to your word this morning in, in faith and in obedience. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I am sure that the, the Apostle Paul felt the same way about the church at Philippi as I feel about you, right? For him, the church at Philippi, and he wasn't even there that long, but the relationships he built with that congregation, it, it felt like home to him. And that's why when we read through this letter, there's so much joy as Paul thinks about the unique relationship he had with the church at Philippi, right? But Paul wanted the church at Philippi to be better because there was a problem. Apparently, there was some conflict that was brewing in the life of this church. And, and we'll get into more of the specifics of it later on as we work through this letter together over the next few weeks. But there was some conflicts. And, and if you get to chapter 4, I mean, Paul actually calls out two women who were apparently at the center of the conflict. Now, it's pretty cool, right, to have your name written in the Bible. But not when you're getting called out for something bad, right? And so you've got these two ladies that Paul's going to call out. I mean, and so there's some conflict that's brewing in the life of this church. And, and so Paul's writing, and he wants the conflict to stop. And you see what he says, right? You see in the very first verse, he says, and if, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort, uh, if there's any affection, right? And he, he's calling these people in that first verse just to remember you're in Christ, You've experienced his love. You've experienced his affection. You've experienced participation in the spirit. You're together. You're in Christ. Come on, guys, be unified, right? And you look what he says. You come to verse 2, and he says, Complete my joy, being of the same mind. Now, we've already talked about this, that, 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 that Philippians is, is the most joy-filled letter in the New Testament. But Paul says, right, complete it. Complete my, you, you know what would, would give me even more joy than what I already have would be to know that you're in unity, that you're not in conflict with each other. And Paul knows it, the church of Philippi knows it. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible world. They were beginning to, to, to face conflict from the outside, persecution and, and things of that nature. And now Paul's saying, listen, on the inside, inside your church, stay 
unified. Man, that would complete my joy. And then look what he says. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, look at that phrase. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, go ahead and underline that word humility. I know you probably know what it means, but, but let me help you to understand humility. Years ago, I read a definition of the word humility that, uh, that was, was given by a preacher by the name of Tim Keller. And Tim Keller, when he, he defined humility, this is what he said about humility. He, he said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? In other words, you, you know, when, when you just walk around saying, you know, I'm just a nobody, I'm not a big deal, you know, I, I don't have a lot of gifts or talents or abilities, I'm just a simple person, Tim Keller says that's not really humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's not having low self-esteem or thinking you're nobody. No, no, no. Humility is thinking of yourself less, right? Because that's the problem. I guarantee you, you're, you're like me. Every day, you think about you more than you think about anybody else. That's just the way we are. That's the way that we're wired. That's, that's, that's the way we are as humans, that, that when you get up, you start thinking about you, what you got to do for the day, and, and, and what is it today? What is it that, that you can do that's going to make you a little bit happier? What, what is it that you can do today that's going to make your life a little more enjoyable? What can you do today that, that, that's going to make you get noticed a little more? I mean, every day when you wake up, you think about you more than you think about anybody else. And what, what Tim Keller says is, is humility it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's what Paul says. Count others as more significant than you. And you know this. The opposite of humility is pride. And that's what you and I struggle with. We struggle with pride, don't we? We, we struggle with this attitude that says, look at me. I deserve, I deserve pats on the back. I deserve acclimates. I, I, I deserve for my needs to be met. I, I deserve for you to love me. I deserve for you to notice me. I deserve to feel like I have arrived. I deserve to feel like I am somebody. That's pride. We all struggle with that. We all struggle with this, this thing inside of us that, that's constantly saying, look at me, look who I am, take notice of me, love me, meet my needs, care for me, look at who I am. I deserve to be treated in a certain way. That's the heart of pride. And then when that begins to swell up in the heart of a church, conflict is inevitable, right? And you see what Paul says. He says at the beginning of verse 3, do nothing from pride. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right? Now, now that, that phrase in your Bible, uh, selfish ambition, some Bible translations, they translate that phrase as rivalry. And you know what the word rivalry means, don't you? I mean, we all love a good sports rivalry, whatever you're, whether it's Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, whatever it might be, we all love a good rivalry, right? But you know what, what happens in a rivalry. In a rivalry, you want to do what? Prove that you are the best. And that's what pride does in you, isn't it? That, that when you have a heart of pride, you just want to prove 
And you'll go to toe-to-toe, you'll go to head-to-head with anybody. You just want people to know that you're better than somebody else. And so, so Paul says, right, when there's that heart of pride, when we're not walking in humility, when we're thinking of ourselves more than we think of other people, then rivalry begins to exist. We just want to prove that we're better. But not only does rivalry exist, conceit exists. And you know what conceit is, right? Conceit isn't just wanting to prove you're better. Conceit is that, 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 that deep down gut feeling that you have where you know you're better. When you look around a room like this and you say, that person over there, I've got a better job than he does. I'm better than him. That person over there, I got more money in the bank than they do. I'm better than she is, right? Or my kids are more well-behaved than their kids, right? Or those preacher kids are terrible, whatever the case may be, right? I mean, it's, you know, that, 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 that. And my kids are great. I'm just saying that, an example, right? So, so you, but you get what I'm saying. That, that's conceit where, where not only are you competing to show that you're better, but deep inside you know you're better. Pride. It's the opposite of humility. And if we're all honest, At one point in our lives or another, we've all struggled with pride, have we not? Because pride is that attitude that says, I want to be noticed. Look at me. I have arrived. I don't know what you've been doing over the last nine weeks, and I don't know what your eating out habits have been. You know, we haven't eaten out a whole lot because you can't eat out, but we pick up, you know, from a few places, and and, 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 um, it's been eight or nine weeks since I've been to Chick-fil-A. In the mall. Like, I've been to other Chick-fil-A's. But, but my favorite Chick-fil-A to go to is the Northwoods Mall Chick-fil-A. The, the, the one at Rivers, I mean, it's fine. But, you know, that parking lot's kind of tight and it gets really congested. And so I've, I've just discovered over the years I've been here, it's a lot easier to walk into the Chick-fil-A at Northwoods Mall than it is to, to go to the Chick-fil-A on Rivers, right? And so, 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 but it's been a pandemic. And just to be honest with you, the last place I want to be during a pandemic is the Northwoods Mall right? I mean, that's not like really somewhere I want to be on a regular basis anyway, but so these last eight or nine weeks, I have not walked in to the Northwood Mall to go to my preferred Chick-fil-A until this last week. So I don't remember when it was. It was Tuesday or Wednesday. I was, I was you know, craving some Chick-fil-A, which is pretty much an everyday thing, and so I went to, I went to the Chick-fil-A in the, the Northwood Mall, and, and it looked different, right, because they had the, the dine-in section completely closed off, and you might know this, and you could only go to the counter and order, and, and so when I went to the counter to order, I saw a young lady there who I've seen there before who's helped me there several times. Now, I haven't seen her in eight or nine weeks because I haven't been to that Chick-fil-A in eight or nine weeks, right? But I, I walk up to the counter, and the first thing she said was, Hey, Mr. Tommy, do you want your usual chicken sandwich, no pickle, and a large Coke Zero? And I said, Well, absolutely. And, and, and in that moment, you know what was going on in my mind. In that moment, I, I know it. I am somebody, right? Like, like I have a right. I mean, the church, you understand, you're your pastor. Like, I'm a big deal around here. You understand? Like, like I am, right? I mean, now think about my life. I, I grew up on, on the south side of Augusta to a, a hard work. I mean, I was, I was a little nobody, but I, I've worked my way. And now I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and I walk into restaurants, and people know who I am, and they know what I want to eat, right? I mean, I've arrived. I mean, it's taken a long time to get here, but... Here I am, right? But you think about it, that's what we all want. We all want that feeling of, man, I've arrived. Look at me. Know my name. Know what I want to eat. Know how to serve me. We all want to feel that way. And that, my friend, is pride. That desire we have to be noticed. And you know this. I don't have to tell you this. If you have a prideful heart, a heart that's always saying, Look at me, give me, 
give me more, I deserve, know my name, pat me on the back, look at what I've accomplished. If that's your heart, you know this about yourself. What you really are is empty, right? I mean, think about it. This is the truth I want you to see from this, this first part of the passage. Empty people always want to be full, right? I mean, if you have a heart of pride uh, that, that's just bent on you always having your name known and getting accolades, man, the reality is you're empty and you know it. And so therefore, watch, a prideful heart will never be a full heart because, listen, a prideful heart will never have enough. So what that somebody knows your name? So what that you get a pat on the back? So what that somebody says, man, well done? So what? It's never enough. You want more of that, don't you? To hear one person say, hey, good job, isn't enough for you. You need to hear it over and over and over again because what? Your heart is empty. That, that pride is created in you, a, a deserted heart that's just always longing for more and more and more, and, and it just, it's just never full. And Paul knows this. And Paul knows that this is a struggle at the church of Philippi. They didn't take care of their conflict. They kept walking in selfish ambition and conceit. They would continue to see pride swell up in their church. They'd be empty. And so what Paul does in this passage, now watch, this is so good. Paul refocuses them. Look at what he says. Let me show you. Let me show you. Look, look, look. This is so good. You you come down to uh, uh, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul does is he begins to focus their attention on Jesus. Paul is essentially saying to the church at Philippi, okay, you've got a pride problem. You need to learn to be humble. And and the best way I can teach you to be humble is to to make you look at Jesus and to make you look at what he's done for you. And so what you have here in in verses 6 through 11 is this exalted view of the humility of Christ. Now, we don't know this for sure, but, but, but there, there are some Bible scholars who say that, that it's probable that verses 6 through 11 are actually an ancient hymn. A hymn that, that the church at Philippi would probably have been familiar with. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but maybe it was a hymn they sang every time they met together. And, and so it could be, it could be that, that Paul is saying to the church at Philippi when he writes this, these words, hey, you know that song you sing? You sing it every Sunday. How about live it now? How about live out those words you're singing, right? And so so what what Paul's going to show these these believers in this song or in these words that that he writes, he's going to show them the fullness of Christ, right? Let me go ahead and give it to you. Here's the second truth I want you to see in this passage, right? Full people can always live to be empty. If you think about it, Jesus, the God-man, he was completely full, right? He was full of joy, full of peace, full of hope, right? Full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. And inside, now watch, inside of a relationship with Jesus, what has happened? You have been invited, invited to share in his fullness. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to live a prideful life that's always saying, look at me, give me, give me, give me. No, you can live in the fullness of Christ. And so here's what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, stop right there because that's interesting, isn't it? 
Jesus in the form of God. You understand what Paul's saying, don't you? We know this, that, that, that Jesus was fully God. We, we believe that. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says to the church at Colossae, Jesus is what? The image of the invisible God. When you look at the face of Jesus, you are seeing the God of all creation. Paul goes on to say in Colossians chapter 1, he is the creator of all things. He's the creator. He's God. You think about Hebrews 1, and the author of Hebrews, as he begins his beautiful letter, he writes that that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are convinced, based on what Scripture teaches us, that Jesus is what? He is absolutely, fully God. Amen? But, But look what Paul says. Fully God, yet did not count equality with God a thing be grasped. This is where it starts to get good. Think about it. There has never been a time in eternity that Jesus did not exist. He is eternal. Jesus, the Son of God, has always been. And there has never been a time in eternity where the eternal Son of God, now watch this, was not God. You understand? I mean, He's the Creator. Jesus, the the second person of the Trinity, The Son of God has always been God. I mean, if you think about it, before Jesus came to this earth as a man, what it must have been like. Right? In the glorious eternal heaven, surrounded by multitudes upon multitudes of angels who always do the bidding of God, who day after day, moment after moment, for all of eternity, sing praises to the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? And you think about it, right? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, what does he do? Temporarily leaves. Right? Temporarily leaves the heavenly throne room and enters into the creation. He enters into the earth that he made. You see what Paul's saying? Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I don't know, I wasn't there, you weren't there. But, but on that day, at that moment, when the heavenly Father said to the, the, the eternal Son, it's time, it's time for you to go to the earth and take on human flesh and live in a broken world and redeem a broken people. It's not like the eternal son was kicking and screaming, right? It's not like, no, it's not quite time yet. I don't want to do that. That's going to be a bad job. No, that's not what he did, right? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Just think about it. He let go. He let go of his eternal heaven to step into a broken earth. He let go of what he possessed in that eternal heaven surrounded by multitudes of of angels. He let go. He emptied himself of his possessions to come to this broken world. You think about it. I mean, that's kind of the, the heart of pride is grasping. Prideful people grasp, right? 
I just can't let go. I can't let go of my need to be noticed. I can't let go of my need to have people pat me on my back. I can't let go. And I bet you for some of us this morning, there's something we're grasping to that we can't let go of because we find our meaning and our purpose and fulfillment, or we think we're finding it, in that thing we're grasping to. And what Paul says is Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Look at what else the verse says. He emptied himself, verse, um, verse 7, excuse me, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see it? The eternal God. Think about the privilege Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels surrounding the throne, always doing the bidding of our eternal Lord, always singing praise and glory to our eternal Lord. Yet Jesus, what does he do? He leaves. He leaves heaven. He comes to earth. Right? Privileged. But what does he do? The one who is privileged takes on human limitations. Now, when Paul says that, that Jesus emptied himself, it does not mean for one second that, that while Jesus was on this earth, he ceased to be God or that he ceased to be all-powerful or he ceased to be all-knowing or any of those things, right? But, but, but what Paul is, I think, telling us is that when Jesus stepped into this earth and he, he, he put on flesh, that, that he embraced the limitations of humanity. Think about it. When Jesus was on this earth, he knew. He knew what it was like to get hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. I mean, those are limitations. Limitations that, that Jesus did not have in heaven. But on this earth, those limitations that he gladly took on, right? I don't know. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us. And I'm going to speculate a little bit. Maybe he knew what it was like in the winter to have a cold. Maybe he knew the pain of stumping his toe. You see what I'm saying? That the eternal God emptied himself of privilege and took on human limitations. But, but also think of this. Not only did he take on, are you following? Not only did he take on human limitations, he veiled his glory, right? Because if you were there in first century Israel and you were to walk the streets and maybe uh, run across Jesus in the marketplace, you wouldn't know. I mean, the disciples had a hard time figuring it out, didn't they? I mean, I mean, and then when you read in Mark chapter 6, for example, the people, when they see Jesus, they say, wait a minute, isn't that the carpenter? His glory was veiled. Now, certainly there were times when he revealed his glory, like the Mount of Transfiguration. But think about it. Emptied himself of his privilege. He, he veiled his glory. He took on human limitations. And, and now watch this. He took on the form of a servant. I mean, the eternal God. The king of kings and lord of lords was not born in a palace, but he was born and laid in a manger where animals eat. He grew up as a homeless man. And then what did he do, right? John 13. In John 13, he took on a towel and washed the feet of tax collectors, right? Wash the feet of fishermen, his disciples. You see what Paul's saying? 
Talk about humility. The God of all creation, the God of all creation emptied himself of his possessions. He emptied himself of his privilege and he emptied himself of pride. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not prideful or has never been prideful. But, but think about what it says here, right? Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, now listen, you, you see it there in verse 8. He humbled himself. Right? But, but, but if you think about it, you know this. Not only did he humble himself, Jesus allowed himself to be humiliated. Right? There on the cross, Jesus knew pain, unimaginable pain. And there on the cross, Jesus knew suffering. He knew sorrow. He knew isolation. There on the cross, Jesus was rejected by the masses. And there on the cross, his body hung, beaten and bloodied and naked for the whole world to see. Talk about humiliation. But Jesus was willing to humiliate himself. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, because he knew, he knew what his death would accomplish. Think about humility. Tim Keller says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Now watch, this will blow your mind. Come in real close now. This will blow your mind. Tim Keller says what? Humiliation is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there on the cross. Doesn't that blow your mind? That as Jesus hung on the cross, gasping for air, there was joy before him. Because he was thinking of you and thinking of me and thinking what he would accomplish for the glory of God as he died in our place and took the punishment that, that we are due. As he suffered the wrath of God on our behalf so that we will never have to suffer the wrath of God. Rejected so we will be accepted. I mean, think about it. On the cross, if humility is thinking of yourself less, I mean, isn't that what Jesus was doing on the cross? Thinking about the glory of his Father as he obeyed his Father and thinking about you and me and what he would accomplish for us as he died in our place so our sins could be forgiven and then ultimately would rise from the dead, setting us free from the chains of sin and death so we might experience complete forgiveness of sins, abundant and eternal life. You see what I'm saying? The one who was full, full of joy, full of peace, right? Full of hope, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, willingly emptied himself for us. And you know what the passage says? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Paul says that's exactly what happened. You see what it says. Just let me read it to you again. You, you come down and you, and you read, for example, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It might not happen on this earth in this lifetime, because people in this lifetime will reject Christ and, and, and refuse to bow the knee. But there will come a day that every person who has ever lived will stand before the presence of the God of all creation, will stand before the presence of the risen Lord, and every knee will bow, and every tongue 
will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and here's the beauty, right? That if, if we surrender our lives to Jesus, if we humbly embrace Christ as our Lord, what happens? This one who is exalted, he will exalt us alongside of him. We will rule and reign with him. We will walk in the fullness of his glory. You see what I'm saying? And so, so when you think about what Paul's saying here, what Paul's saying to this church is, man, if you will just consider what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you'll look at his humility, how he emptied himself of his possessions, how he emptied himself of his privilege, how he emptied himself of pride for you, how in the world can you remain a prideful person when you consider the humility of Jesus Christ, you see? How is it? But yet we do. Constantly grasping to what we're holding on to. Don't take it from me. Yet we do play the privilege card. I'm privileged, right? I grew up on the right side of the tracks. I have money. I have education. I've worked hard. And so therefore I deserve. I'm privileged, so therefore I'm entitled, right? Or pride. Look at me. Look at me. Pat me on the back. Pat me on the back. Come on. Someone pat me on the back. No, 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 no. I think what Paul's telling us, what the Spirit of God is telling you this morning is very simple. You and I have a choice. Pride or humility. And, and pride, my friend, it always says, listen, listen, get this. Pride always says, because of who I am and because of what I've done, I deserve more. More of your accolades. More of your pats on the back. More of your praise. Because of who I am, I deserve it. On the flip side, Humility says this, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me, I have more. You see? Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I have more. I have it all. I share in the fullness of Christ, right? And so therefore I can, right? Full people can always live to be empty because I am full of Christ and because I am full of what I share inside of a relationship with him. I can live my life to be empty. I can give my life away for the sake of the gospel. I can give away my possessions. I can give away my privilege. I can give away my pride. I can give it all away and live for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ among other people. So what is it for you? Pride or humility? If you walk in pride, you're always going to be empty. If you walk in humility, you will always be full. So full that you can always give of yourself to others. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never experienced the fullness of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you'll believe, if you'll believe that Jesus Christ really did die on a cross for you, taking the punishment for your sins, and if you'll believe that three days later, he rose from the dead for you, you'll believe and give your life to him by turning from your sins and placing your trust in him, you will begin to experience the fullness of Christ. So this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, humble yourself before Jesus, embrace him as Lord, turn from your sins, and give your life to him. I'll be down front in just a moment. and We'd love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, listen carefully. Many of you are like me. You are a follower of Jesus. You see that pride creep up over and over again. That thing inside of you that keeps on saying, look at me. No, 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 no. Look at him. Look at what he's done for you. Look at how he has 
died in your place and rose again. Look at what he's promised you. Look at what he's given you. Look at the spirit who dwells inside of you. No, not look at me, but look at him. This morning, how can you not choose humility? How can you not choose to live your life for the sake of the one who lived his life for you, to live for his mission, to live for the sake of others? And I don't know, maybe maybe you're like me. You recognize that, that pride really is a struggle for you. And this morning, as we have a time of invitation, you just want to ask God to forgive you of your pride and to teach you to walk in humility. Maybe this morning you want to ask God to help you to put your eyes on Jesus, to have this mindset that Paul talks about, a mindset that sees the humility of Christ for you. And so as we have a time of invitation, maybe as a follower of Jesus, you want to come and gather and just pray that God would teach you to walk in, not pride, but humility. However God leads you this morning, you come as we have a time of invitation together. Father, thank you for today and for the opportunity to be in this place to lift up the name of Jesus together. Now, Father, for that person who might be here who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that person would come, turning from their sins and giving their life to you. And for those of us who are followers of yours, Father, we confess. We confess that oftentimes pride eats away at our hearts. So focus us. Focus our hearts back on Jesus. Help us to see his humility and help us long to walk in the humility of Christ. Father, when we're full, when we're full of humility, we're a better church. When we're full of humility, we're a better home. When we're full of humility, we're better followers of yours. Father, we want to be a better church. And being a better church means being a people who are full of you, so full that we're willing to empty ourselves for the sake of others. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise to your feet as a time of invitation together, and you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.